Welcome to Democracy in Action, a show from the League of Women Voters of Broward County, where we bring the stories of everyday people who are making democracy work. This week on Democracy in Action, I speak with Peggy Thomas. She's a former public servant for the state of Maryland, is a lover of authentic Maryland crab cakes, and is a voting rights advocate. In this interview, we discuss why you can always go home again, and she explains to us what democracy in action means to her. Please welcome Peggy Thomas. Peggy, so what was your first political action or memory of being political as an American? I thought about this question and I'm think I'm trying to think the first election and I think it Carter and Bush, I don't remember. I mean, I wasn't driving then and the school that the polling site was a school, the elementary school that I could walk to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I knew what I was doing other than my dad voted. And my dad, you know, whoever my dad voted for, I voted for. I didn't get really into it. Mm-hmm. He voted for him. I voted for him. And that was him. My friends, we all, you know, vote the same. None of us really read. We all went with what our parents said. So it was our family vote, basically. Yeah, it was a family thing. (laughs) Okay. So I assume this was when you were, I guess, when you turned 18, or was it sometime later? It probably, well, it, I don't know that there was any up for election when I was 18. I don't think it was. Okay. Um, I didn't, I know I didn't vote into like the smaller elections. I didn't do that. Like Um, the local ones, you mean? Right, right. Okay. And this was in Maryland, right? You said you uh, worked in Maryland? Right, in Maryland. Maryland. Nice. Cool. So, Nakia, do you want to do the next question or? Yes, yes. Peggy, so. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? Um... Well, I grew up in Maryland. Mm-hmm. I worked for state police. I worked in the finance department for about, uh, I guess, about 15 years or so. I did that payroll. We had about, mm, about mm-hmm. 3,000 employees, and we had a um, group of about four in my unit that did the payroll and I was Mm -hmm. the backup to the supervisor and then for a while I worked in I moved from there because it was a promotion I moved to accounts payable and I was a supervisor there for accounts payable for all the billing and um, Mm -hmm. stuff that you do from buying a car for the officers to buying pencils you know it was that broad So you have all this financial experience and so how do you think that defines you? Like how, like, do you see in numbers? I've always wondered, do financial people, do you see in numbers? Do I see numbers? (laughs) I don't know that I see in uh, numbers. It really wasn't my, I kind of fell into it. I really did just really just fall into it. I went to school for a while. And I thought I was going to want it to be an accountant, (laughs) but for a summer, I worked in an accounting firm. My mom found this job working in an accounting firm, hated it, hated it, hated it, but Mm -hmm. somehow ended up 
doing book, bookkeeping. I went to a trade school to become a bookkeeper. And I guess I did that because my very first job was I worked in a hotel. Mm-hmm. It was a new hotel that opened and I was switchboard operator. And that was like in the old days, but there was a switchboard. You had to take a message by hand. You had to put it in the box for the, the customer. The clerks would come in the back, take the message and give it, I'm sorry, give it to the guests. And then just so happened, I worked seven to three and my friend worked three to 11 and she needed to switch. And that was all the, the night auditor at the time, you know, they had works 11 to seven at the end of the week, he goes, do you want to learn to do this? And I was like, well, yeah, I've learned on my own time and my own time. So when I left that place, I could do night audit. And then the numbers just started falling into place there. I did night audit. I worked the desk, but night auditors get paid more than um, desk clerks do. And then I worked in a cheese office. His specialty was cheese. I did the books for them. And I found that job because the one job I had, I didn't like. And I just up and quit. I just quit. Don't know what I was thinking. Had a car payment insurance and stuff. You're like a rich quit. You're like, I'm not doing anymore. (laughs) And then my dad, he, when he retired, he bought his own yellow cap. And just so happened, someone came into the office, got into his cab that day. I was like, you know, we really need somebody to do our books at the office, yada, yada, yada. My dad was like, my daughter, she's working now, he told me. He said this, he's working now. But, you know, so he set me up. I got the interview and everything. And great interview, got the job, left. He called me. I says, well, I need a week to give them notice and I just goofed off for a week because I knew I had the money like the at least survive for a week and then after that then I started working for the state so I guess the numbers just kind of fell into my lap and I realized it was money in numbers <laughs> so, right well yeah. your dad had your back though because he knew you didn't have a job <laughs> <laughs> dad had your back he did and you know until this day I wonder if he knew that I quit and just never said anything because parents are like amazing they know stuff even when you don't think they know they know and Mm -hmm. I always wonder to this day did he really know I quit that job or you know was it just luck and I and till this day I think he probably knew I quit (laughs) gotcha that it was a great job and you have all the cheese you wanted oh cheese okay all the cheese you wanted what do you mean well because he his specialty was cheese so you know like like if you were having a function or hotel everybody ordered from him and and Hmm. pretty much in maryland if you wanted feta any kind of cheese you can imagine he had in the warehouse and in the mornings you know, you had orders, and you, whether, even if it was a store, if it was a deli, and it was a special cheese he had, and the guys would load up the truck in the morning and mm-hmm. do deliveries all over, whether it was, like I said, whether it was a business or a catering job or, you know, anything like that. And because he would always say, why are y'all going out to lunch? There's all that cheese back there. All you need to do is buy bread. 
Just <laughs> brown cheese all, all day for, uh, yeah, they, you know, for lunch. I actually got the tissue. I might get tired of some, though, you know? Well... No, that's my dream job. Look, listen, I would do some bookkeeping over giving me some free cheese. Okay. Really? <laughs> yes. I, I love mean, cheese. that's how I learned how to eat feta because I was going somewhere and he goes, here, take some feta. I'm like, okay. Yes, oh <laughs> you know, so, I mean, he did other things, but mainly the specialty was cheese. He did a little bit in caviar and stuff. And we got to taste everything, so... so that was cool yeah and then I did taxes for a while I was telling Janelle earlier once I retired I started working for a community-based tax place a friend of mine ran and we just believed that in that type of community don't go and spend two and three hundred dollars at H&R Block and whatever you know come to us we'll do them for free and we did taxes yeah. for free for, you know, people who qualified. And that's the uh, VITA program, right? It right, that's the VITA like that. program. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah very strict, strict that. rules. Yeah, very, very strict rules. And it was crazy. I guess the fun part about it was each year we had to go to a conference put on by the IRS. And each time I would go to San Diego because that's where my aunt lived. It's a free trip you know, conference for, I think it was like three days. And then after that, you know, my supervisor went, we would just kind of hang out in San Diego for the rest of the week. And, you know, it was fun. I mean, we had to get credits while we were there and stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, it was free. They paid for it. So Nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So I just want to go back a little bit. So could you tell us a little bit about the city you grew up? In? I know you said it was Maryland, but could you get more specific about where you grew up in Maryland? Well, for the first 12 years, I grew up in the city, Baltimore City. I went to, you know, in the city, all the schools, kids were Black. Nice neighborhood, Row House, they call them townhouse now, but Row House in a community that was very nice and no problems. You, You know, you walked everywhere. My mother didn't get her license until later in life. So, I mean, we literally walked everywhere. We walked mm-hmm. to the corner store. We walked to what they called the village. We just like walked everywhere. And then the year I turned 13, we moved out into the county or the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very culture shop. I went to school with kids, you know, were predominantly white and of mm-hmm. that, probably mm, over half were Jewish. So it was, it was like a serious culture shock. It was, you know, but we did what we had to do. I know you said it was a culture shock, but like. It probably at first I did not, you know, yeah. looking back, kids are me and that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. But I'm like one of those people who don't really care, <laughs> you know. So I guess for the first year because well, we moved there when we went into eighth grade when I went to eighth grade yep. so you know the kids try you I was I mean it wasn't that many blacks that were in the classes and I think there was one I had one person in a math class and that was it one he was a guy and everybody else was white but actually two of the girls that I met 
there became friends. I'm still friends with them. We're best friends. Um, so, nice. I mean, it was hard at first because the one, the one girl was a little harder. She was um, from a family who I never went in her house. Her parents really never spoke to me, mm-hmm. but we were friends. You know, she would invite other kids to their pool club or whatever, the swim club. I would never get invited. But then had the other um, girl, she was Jewish. And, you know, I would come in her house. Her mother talked to my mother. And it was just, but the other, but the other girl, we're like best friends now. I mean, once she got out on her own and kind of realized, I guess, it 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 didn't matter. But, you know, it was an eye-opener. It was, but it was a lesson that helped me out in life because when I worked for state police, it was the same. I got the job. I mean, I did a good interview, but I, you know, they needed to fill a quota. <laughs> so I went home and I told my mom, and she's like, you just do your best. You just show them what you can do. And I did. Uh, okay. Quick question though. When you say a fill a quota, what exactly do you mean by that? Because they, it was a time like I'm trying, I can't think of the word, but there were in the finance department, there was only one person who was black. They need it more. It was a game and it's just, you learn, you just learn to adapt to people. And that's what I did. I wasn't friends with anyone there. I mean, we went out as a group because it's a work thing. I went, Mm -hmm. I showed up. But other than that, I mean, it was a learning experience. I was young and my friends on the outside were, you know, I hung out with the, because when I worked for the state, I still worked at the hotel because I really enjoyed doing that. So those were my Mm -hmm. friends. You know, Baltimore City at the time was, it, it was a nice area. It was a nice area where I grew up where young families, actually the neighbor next to us, her and my mom, and and then moved in the same time. But it was, uh, you know, you would have, you didn't think, you know, that's what our world was. The lady next door had six kids. You know, you look at, um, watch those shows, House Hunters, she had six kids, three bedrooms, okay? Mm-hmm. We had well, they well six kids. Well, what nine people in their family, three bedrooms. Mm-hmm. We had five people in our family, two bedrooms, one bathroom. You know, they had the same. So, so it was you tight, know, and it was nice. Yeah. It, you know, it just. But when you when I moved to the suburbs, there was no longer being able to walk places. You had to get in the mm-hmm. car and drive. Everybody drove, and nobody really played outside. You. <laughs> Because we're in the city, we played outside. Uh, we lived mm-hmm. at the end of a street dead end. And we played out. We rode bikes. But once we moved to, the kids didn't do that. You know, the kids didn't do that. And it's like, okay, what did we do? We had like one TV, which was, you know, back then, nothing really on TV. So you, so mm-hmm. I learned that the kids there did school activities, stuff after school. Yeah, so after got, school programs, all that. Yeah. yeah. And that's what they were involved in. So I got involved in that. It just kind of adapt. 
But when I was in the city, I mean, we literally played outside all day, especially on the weekends. And then we come home from school, we play outside, then we do our homework, dinner, and bed. So that move to the suburbs when you were younger, like your life changed in a sort of not so great way, it seemed, right? Because when you were living in, in the sort of, I guess it was more of an urban area, right? Before mm-hmm. versus when you're in the suburbs, you could walk everywhere, like you said. You kind of knew your neighbors more. and But when you moved to the suburbs, you couldn't play outside. You kind of had to be inside. So, so that really kind of changed your life. Yeah, I mean, it did change in a, a really um, big way. My older sister, she was already out of school when we moved. My younger sister was just starting, so it really didn't affect her. Because she she'd only gone, I think, maybe first grade or something like that. Uh, we're mm-hmm. all six years apart. So, you know, the person that affected the most was me. And you just really just learned to adapt or be miserable. I don't know that it was awful. It's just that things just change and you just, you have to go along with the change. I think my personality is what it is. is I think because of that change, I didn't look at it probably as a positive then. Mm-hmm. Um, because the one thing that happened that I was really angry about was how cat ran away <laughs> and, um, and I was like the cat my mom I was like so mad I'm like cat ran away and I was really upset the cat came back but you, you just learn to adapt I think I wouldn't have I travel more than my sisters do because I had friends who traveled who it's where do you travel though I've taken a few cruises. We went to Alaska. We've been to the Caribbean. A group of us went to Europe. We hit London, Paris, Spain. We stayed in a villa that overlooked the Mediterranean. And I don't think I would have done any of those things if I had stayed where I was because the people there weren't, I don't want to say they weren't motivated to do that, but we weren't, no one told us that we could. Mm. you know whereas when I moved out to the suburbs and the kids were doing it they'd be like Peggy you know you know why don't you come or the one friend she was like once she moved to once we graduated from high school her parents moved to Florida and we were good friends then and she's like well come down to Florida and so I did she went to school during the day her father took me in, showed me around Florida and, you know, and it was, you know, it was, it was nice. I was in her wedding and, you know, so, you know. This I, is your best friend, right? Your best friend yeah, from I have high two. school, right? The one, no, now the one, she will be here in a couple of weeks on the second. She has come every year since I've moved here, separate last year when we had the pandemic. Because mm-hmm. um, usually she comes doing her, her birthday, which is, in November, because it's around Thanksgiving. But this year, she's also coming in September. But when she comes in November, which would be really exciting, her birthday mm-hmm. and Hanukkah are the same time. So that'll be kind of cool. Gotcha. Yeah. So, but you know, it was, it was what it was, I guess, at that point in life. You don't know anything else until you move. Right. That is true. But that's so, so interesting. You became multicultural. I did become multi. My mother used to say I had the friends of the melting pot, (laughs) melting pot of friends. And 
she never really, uh, it never really shocked her who I brought home, who I went out with. She's like, okay, you know, and all my friends love my mom. You know, my dad was very, his bark was bigger than his spike, but you didn't know that, you know, he'd like, if you bring a date home, he'd be like, do you have money? Do you work? <laughs> be like, it's like in high school that, you know, you know, it, and it, that's what he did. My dad was a big golfer. He played golf. My mother said she was a golf widow, but we, we, you know, we took some trips because of it, you know? So we, you know, at that point we hated to bring anybody home because it's like, you know, dad, we're in high school. Where does the income really come from other than maybe, but those are the first two questions he would say, do you work? And he went, no, sir. Do your parents work? With my dad's two first questions. Do you know anybody that works? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, basically. So, you know, I didn't get my daughter any money. It's basically what he said. He said, I don't want my baby around any broke hurt man. Okay. Right. I don't care yeah. if you're a teenage man. Okay. You cannot be broke. Right. Oh my goodness. Oh my yeah. goodness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I grew, my parents are great. My parents are great. My family was great. So. Do they still live in Maryland or uh, have them? My younger sister and my niece and my older sister, and she has a daughter. They would still live in Maryland. They, my, my younger sister, she, we moved into the house after my parents passed away. So she's still living there. My niece is still in school. She's, I guess, doing, and you know, so she's still in school. She's in Atlanta right now, but she's in, still in school. Yeah. So, you know, we, you know, my younger sister and I, we, we talk frequently. My older sister and I, we don't, but they still live. In, yeah, they are. Everybody still lives in Maryland. Nice. All right. So, so what made you want to join or get involved with the League of Women Voters of Broward County? I know you moved from Maryland to Florida. So, you came down to Florida. What made you want to get involved with this lovely group? Well, again, it fell into my lap. <laughs> I was, um, I was, I am a member of AARP. And we were doing an event. And someone from the league stopped by our table talking to the president of the ARP, our chapter. And I was like, well, who is she, who is she? And I was asking her, come to find out the person who sat by a table was also a member of our chapter AARP. So once we got, once we met again, she signed me up and um, I guess the rest is history. I was, I'm really more, I mean, I guess I enjoy more the voting aspect of it. You know, I just feel mm -hmm. like everybody should be able to vote. and. Before the pandemic, um, I really liked going out and, you know, making sure people voted and registered to vote. And, you know, a lot of people like, I don't believe in voting, but it was just, I enjoyed doing that the most. And um, that's, so getting involved, it kind of came to me. I didn't, I, cause if I had never gone to that event, I don't know that I would know anything about the League of Women Voters, Broward County. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So also, I attend some of the other meetings of other leagues. There's one Manatee County 
Sometimes they have some interesting things. I belong to a, actually a book club that I met through the league when I was doing membership chair meeting and they live in Polk County. Okay. Yeah, so it's been really, you know, it's been really interesting. With- Is that since COVID that you've been able to sort of visit mm-hmm. all the different ones because they're all meeting online, right? Yes, they're all meeting okay. online. So, Although the people in Polk County they did get together for mm-hmm. a gathering. I, I couldn't go. I mean, it's just too far. It's four hours. To, I think they live Lakeland or something. So I couldn't go. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty far north, yeah. Yeah, but they're very, they're very much into um, talking about diversity. So, you know, books they read. It's been interesting. They're a really nice group and just very laid back. Um, but I would have never been able to do it but because of the pandemic. You get to meet but I would have never, for the League of Women Voters, I probably would have never, I don't, I wouldn't have never known about him if it hadn't been for that one incident. So Peggy, can you tell us a little bit more about, you said you were working with voting and membership. Can you tell us more about what we were doing? Well, we go to different events. And at the time when we were doing it, you want people to sign up to register to vote. We went to colleges, just kind of any kind of event that was maybe happening that we got invited to. So people would, you want people to sign up to vote. Membership chair is new for me. I actually got it, the title during the pandemic. So I'm not real um, sure what how to really get people involved during a pandemic. I mean, people sign up and, you know, and to join, mm-hmm. but there's no real activities. I'm a people person. I just like to get out and talk to people and things mm-hmm. like that. And it's kind of hard to do that via Zoom. So when exactly did you join this group? Did you join recently or you've been a part of it for a while? I've been a part of it for a while. Since since I probably moved here, which is probably maybe five, six years ago. Okay. Okay. So all doing that before the pandemic, I was like all over the place and loved it. You know, we're here, we there. I worked on a campaign and sure. it was interesting. I had a lot of fun, you know, because for many years when I worked, I told people what to do. So when I worked mm-hmm. on the campaign, it was a, a young girl. She was like in her probably 20s or something. And she would go like, Peggy, what do you want to do? And I said, you tell me what you want me to do. You're my boss. <laughs> but it was fun. We made phone calls, which I wasn't really crazy about. I sat at the table at the front to give out posters and actually went to a rally where that person was there. Um, which was interesting. I actually went to a rally of both parties, believe mm-hmm. it or not. My, fr- my friend and I, we were in Myrtle Beach. She's the one that's Jewish. And mm-hmm. we went to the rally that we signed up. And, and it was kind of like my idea, but we had a blast I and mean, we had absolutely because at this time the crowd was friendly but you looked around and I think there was one other one other me there and that was it but we 
you know, we just sat there very innocently. Yeah. We listened, and it was fun, you know. Yeah. But I mean, she and I, with the one group, we talk a lot about race, the one in Polk County. And although I guess once I moved from the city to the county, it came up. And I guess I learned to deal with it. And she and I, we just, together, we just never thought um, anything of it that we were any different than two other friends. And once we moved to the county, she and I, that's the city has started to get bad. And we told, we told my mom, we want to move in the city in the apartment. My mother went, oh, no. You know, oh, no, no, you guys will not last in the city in the apartment. We were like, why not? Mother goes, no. <laughs> and she, I mean, we became very naive because we became very good friends. And, you know, was it good yeah. or bad? Just tell us about some projects you've worked on not necessarily as the chair, but like in other committees you've been a part of, like the voting rights that you joined for and mm-hmm. any sort of stuff you've done in that respect? In that respect, I've just really um, done a lot of events, you know, sign up people. We've gone to communities where it's obvious that they don't believe in voting. We went into a community where you assume things of people because you assume this person can read you assume this person's interested we went to a community and it was obvious he couldn't read i mean you know he he wanted to vote he wanted to register but he really couldn't read enough to fill it out you know and that's mm-hmm. kind of satisfying to go okay let me sit down and help you do this mm-hmm. um and he did it and he filled it out. He had his ID and everything like that. We've gone to... Um, but that's tough though, because if you have problems even filling out the form, how are you going to even show up and like check the box of the person you're going to pick, right? So well, that seems like a... It's, it's very you interesting. You know what I mean? Right. Well, it's interesting because now, and I don't know back then, but now um, there is a voting machine that's supposed to be at all the barracks. That's really for the um, visually impaired. Okay. But, I th- but I think if someone went in and go, you know, I really can't read, they could use that machine because the machine actually reads it out. Oh, and then they make the choice based off what they're here. Right, right. They have like a well, toggle. I don't think of that, but I guess that works. Yeah, you know, but you've got to be kind of kind of upfront as to what what you can and can't do, but you know, probably a lot of people, when they get there, they've already, someone's already helped them fill out the ballot. So they bring with them and they can match it up. Um, And, you know, that's, we've done some things on gun safety, which is really interesting. The lady who does the gun safety, Barbara, she's very passionate about it. And I've done some things. Yeah, I've met her. Yeah, she's the chair of the gun safety committee, Barbara. Who's last Markley, Markley. Don't remember right now. Okay. Yes. Yeah. She's, she's very passionate about it. And I've done some things like that where, you know, I'm not as knowledgeable as she is, but you know, you can talk to people and you can have them hear, you know, the form and the gun locks and um, things mm-hmm. like that. 
that's really good. I mean, it's really kind of hard right now because, you know, the pandemic, so it's really kind of hard to physically plan anything for anything or do anything. You know, gotcha. I mean, it's hard to get people to even get involved in a Zoom. It's just, you know, even my one group, AARP, they won't Zoom. And I go to meetings, Zoom meetings with AARP, and a lot of the chapters, I mean, they're still doing things, but mm-hmm. they're meeting. And, and, you know, I just, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, how can I get my chapter involved? when, you know, they don't do, supposedly they don't do Zoom. Yeah, I guess it's been tough on everyone, especially if you don't want to go out into the community and kind of get sick because of, you know, the virus. So I understand the challenges. Yeah, I mean, what do you guys do? I mean, as far as getting people and because yeah, I mean, we've we've had our own challenges as well because it since it's hard to do things, we haven't had that sort of outreach that we've loved to have done to be able to get more members, sort of grow our membership, our little tribe here. So, as for me, I'm hoping that you know we'll be able to you know meet in person again soon. So that's that's what I'm holding out for that at least. In the next maybe six to, to 12 months, we can start doing stuff. At least maybe outdoors, you know, with masks right. or whatever. But I mean, without meeting in person, to me, it's, it's way, way tougher. So, yeah. And I don't know how to fix that. Uh, a screen is great, but it can only do so much. It can only, even when you're doing being innovative, and we try to do like game night. And I know in other organizations, there's different platforms, but you know, it's a challenge. It's not the same. Yeah, it's still just a screen, you know? Yeah, it's still just a screen. So going back to the questions, Ms. Peggy, why do you think it's important to vote? I think it's important to vote because I think your voice does get heard. And if you don't vote, my theory is if you don't vote, you can't complain. I don't want to hear it. You know, if you did not vote, for whatever elections, whoever, whatever, don't complain to me. Don't complain about what's going on. The only way you can change things is to vote. It may not happen this go around and it may not happen next go around, but you just have to continue to vote. I mean, you know, we had the first black president. People came out in droves to vote. For the last election, people came out and, you know, you got to make yourself heard. You just have to make yourself heard. And that's why it's important to vote. But my important thing is, if you don't vote, don't complain. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I have friends who vote because Mm -hmm. they may not believe, but they vote whatever their husband tells them to vote. And I was like, Really? Do you believe that though? Or are you just voting because your husband says that's what it is? Do you read to find out? No. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> and I don't say anymore because, you know, you're going to do what you're going to do. I guess at least you're voting, I guess. Wait just a minute. So people vote based on what their husbands tell them. Wait, what? 
Yeah, I have friends in both. Well, I mean, it's like group think, right? You want to fit in with your group or tribe. So like, I understand what you mean when, you know, if if your husband has an opinion or whatever, I'll let me go with my husband, right? So I I guess that's what you you mean. Well, you know, when I was, when, when when I first voted my very first time and my dad says, you know, I'm voting this. He didn't just say I'm voting this. He explained to me why he was voting. To me, then it made sense because I didn't know any mm-hmm. better. I it, and I probably didn't read as much as I should have. But you know, now I'm an adult. You're an adult. You can read. You know what it is. And just because your husband says, "Well, I'm voting for candidate A," because doesn't mean you have to vote for candidate A. Mm-hmm. Read, read, and I do. I have friends, and I'm like, okay, I, we're not having this conversation. <laughs> I just think that's just so interesting. I, I, the couples that I know, like they fight over, you know, they don't, you know, they fight over how they're voting, and like they, they have actual arguments and stuff. So I was just, I was like, those, those are not any of the men or women that I know. I was like, oh, that's very interesting. I've never heard of that. Yeah. I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> uh. Yeah, I mean, it is. And I and I just like, okay, I, I don't want to have a conversation about it. And that's, you know, just just the way it is. I'm not going to have conversation with you because it's not your opinion. It's somebody else's opinion you're telling me. And then when you go over and say, I won't say her name, you go and she says, John, that's not his name. Well, didn't you say that? And I'm like, did you not read? I mean, I just, I don't I want to have a conversation with you. So. You know, if, if you're yeah. 18 and you're new, I can understand it. But then still read about it. Maybe, you, you know, they're not right. Maybe, you know, but we don't talk about it. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I think it's like group thing, you know, it's not necessarily even husband and wife thing. It's like just groups in general that tend to sort of, you want to fit in with the crowd, fit in with your friends kind of thing. So yeah, I think they, that's how yeah. a lot of voting goes, where people kind of just, what they want to fit in, they want to be a part of the group. But so your husband's your husband. Do. You don't need to fit in. Yeah. That's your husband. Oh, that's yeah, your but I'm, I'm talking just in general, you know, not necessarily yeah. a couple. But I guess you want to fit so, in. So what are some of the biggest challenges in the work you do with the league? You know, when you go out to try to register voters, like you said, with the man that... that yeah. You couldn't read like um, what are some of like the challenges that you've seen so far to convince people to register the vote you know a lot of the young people <clears throat> people of color you know will walk by the table and you know and not want to register the vote just think okay it's why vote i think that's the biggest challenge that's the biggest challenge is just telling people you really do need to register the vote you know, especially people of color. Sometimes it gets very frustrating. You must continue on doing the good work because it's so important. Right. Um, I appreciate you for doing it because it is difficult trying to get people to register that just, you know, have multiple issues with this way how the American system works or the way in which they think it works. So along that line, so what is one myth about politics or public policy that you would want everyone to know? Again, 
that you should vote. I mean, your voice needs to be heard. You need to vote. I mean, I just, you know, I can't emphasize that enough. You want people to know that it makes a difference. It makes a difference when you get out and vote. I mean, it can't get any simpler than that. Surely can't. Surely can't. It's just simple. Let's just get out and vote. People need to know get out and vote. All right. So, so what person would you say has had the most impact on your political views? Person can be dead or alive. (laughs) (laughs) I would say probably my parents. My dad was very much very vocal. Anakta said that my parents passed away in 2002. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I always said, I wish he could have been around when that election came. My, my dad would have been very proud. He, my parents were in the school system, very hardworking. They were teachers or they, they worked my, for school? My dad actually was a um, principal of a school. Awesome. My mom she worked in the elementary school. She was the mom, you know, she was the one that was always at the school. She substituted, you know, she actually substituted my class for half of a year. My teacher got sick. And so she substituted my third grade class for half a year. Very interesting. <laughs> you like having your mom as a teacher like that? Well, okay. So just think about, you're in my third grade class. Uh-uh. there's a test now I was a I mean I was a pretty bright kid so do you think so you go home and you and I do well in the test so you go home and think okay her mom gave her the answers As a I think maybe grader. you stole the answers and that's how it was and so it was like, this is when I was still third grade and in, in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever you did is because your mom told you. I mean, I would literally, at the end of the day, leave the class. Like when you got dismissed, I leave the class of all the other kids. But I knew mm-hmm. it wasn't going anywhere because there was no one home until my mother came home. <laughs> you know, and, and we walked to elementary school. So sometimes my mom walked with us, sometimes she drove. Now, if she drove, do you think I was actually getting in the car with her to drive home? <laughs> to ride home? You can't get away with nothing in third grade. Nothing. No, no. And I, you know, and I was a very shy kid. So whenever something came up where you could do, she would always pick me. And she would pick my best friend too. But I was like, I don't really want to do this. You know, I don't really want to do this. But look at you now, though. Look at you now out here doing all the stuff that, you know, shy people don't typically do. But this is true. This is true. But so I guess my biggest ones were my parents. They were very professional. And, you know, they always wanted to do the right thing. They taught us, you know, what was right and wrong. And they expected us expected out of us and yeah that was that 
you know, dad was, because he was a principal of the school, sometimes when he was disciplining us, my younger mm-hmm. sister would say, dad, sit down. We're not one of your students. So he would sit down and, you know, try to relate to us in that way. I have to tell you, though, on our block, we had the best water guns because he would take the water guns away from kids at school, put them in a box. And at the end of the year, he'd bring them home. We had the best water guns. Nice. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you, what is something that you changed your mind about recently? I think my beliefs are pretty much have stayed the same. My mom used to say about people when, you know, I would get like a little nervous about something that was made me uncomfortable or whatever. Like the first day when I went to work for the state and I was the only black person except for the one. My mother goes, they put your their pants on one leg at a time, just like you do. Mm-hmm. And I've carried that with me, you know, so, and I believe that. I, is it naive sometimes? Yes. That everybody is the same. Is it naive? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is, but for the most part, if you walk in somewhere with your head held up high, like my parents told us, and you have something to say, open your mouth and say it. And, you know, not mumble, you know, open your mouth and say it. Then um, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. And I think Probably if it wasn't for them, I may not have moved to Florida. And not that they say move to Florida, but I felt like I can do this by myself. And a lot of my friends always said that you, like, without all my friends, when we all moved out, I was the only one that moved out by myself. Everyone else had roommates. And I was the only one that I moved out by myself. And they always said, you're the only one of us who just you know, just go and do it, you know, just, but, you know, so I think if I didn't have that personality, I would have never moved to Florida by myself with no family here, no friends when I first moved here, nothing. I think the first- So, so what I, made you, so what made you uh, want to move here, you know, without all that stuff, what drew you to this state? I, well, I, I was just tired of the cold weather and had been to Florida before when my one friend had moved here mm-hmm. for school and everything. And I, and I really liked the weather and I didn't think mm-hmm. about people or anything like that. And the last year, my niece was in her last year of high school. Mm-hmm. She had gotten her license. She was doing stuff on her own, you know, and every time I looked up at the sky that went or something was falling. And I was like, I just don't want to do this anymore. So I came and my one friend, we came, she and I came to Florida. We looked around and stuff, found the place to rent. And I decided, you know, I can do this. And if I can't, I can always go back home. And that's what I told myself. You can always go back home. And I've been saying that for like five more years you can always go back home but my sister my niece come here my friends come here and when it's winter 
and my sister sends me pictures of snow, I go outside and take pictures of the sun with me in the shorts. <laughs> they, well, they, a lot of them say they like the seasons. They like the changing of seasons. Send mm -hmm. me pictures. I, I love those pictures and keep them coming. I love when you send me fall pictures. I love when you send me snow pictures. <laughs> keep them coming. You know, keep them coming. And, you know, I'll stay here whenever you want to come visit. You can if it gets, you know, too cold for you. And, but every time, every once in a while, something will happen and I go, I can go back home. I can go back home. And then it passes. And, yeah. I'm still yeah. here. Yeah. So this podcast is called Democracy in Action. So Peggy, what does that phrase mean to you? It's a work in process. We got to get people out. We have to get people out there. It says this, you know, when I looked up the word to really know what democracy was, you know what it is, but it's not everyone. And I think it needs to be, everyone who needs to feel like it. I mean, it's in process. We're working on it. It's happening. Um, democracy is a process. I felt like you should teach your kid, this is you. We're trying. And if you say it's not you, you got to say, this is for everyone. You know, we're working on it. We haven't maybe gotten fully there yet. It's a process. Democracy is a process. And, it, and although the definition says everyone, you know, we know it's not everyone, but we're getting there. It's democracy at work. We're getting there. Hopefully, we'll, we will get there in my lifetime. Not so sure, but the younger kids are coming up. That I think if we encourage them, this is you, this is everybody, I think eventually one day we'll get there. There was a lot of ugly, but sometimes, or sometimes I think, can we get past that? ugly to make it work on that note thanks for coming on the podcast peggy thanks for listening to the democracy in action podcast for more information about the league of women voters of broward county you can visit our website at lwbroward.org